All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, like Caleb said, my name is Nathan. Um, and if you've come here before, you probably are used to seeing me back there with a the microphone instead of down here with the microphone. Um, and honestly, being up there is way less scary than down here. Um, but I'm really excited to be here and tag teaming with Jake on this sermon series about boldness. Um, and so really quick, um, I've been coming here for about a year and a half now, um, being a worship leader, worship music leader with my little sister, Victoria, right over there, who plays piano and is on vocals. And we're, we are siblings. Um, we were at a wedding a couple weeks ago and doing some special music for it. And people saw our name on the programs, like both have the last name of Gherkins. And people thought we were married. And like, yeah, how long have you and your wife been doing music? And it's like, we've been siblings for 22 years now, but um, <laughs> not... Uh, Insert Arkansas joke here if you want, but uh, uh, but yeah, about a year and a half ago, about the time that I started coming here, I graduated uh, from the School of Mines right down the hill, so uh, in my free time, I'm an engineer, um, but I'm really excited to be here at this church. Like, this is uh, what I'm truly passionate about, is being with the church and being with you all. This is my family here. Um, so if you were here last week, uh, Jake kicked off this sermon series about boldness. It's control B, B, like, we want to make you guys bold. Um, and if you were here, you might remember he was talking about the cucumbers and the giants. The cucumbers being the things that we are afraid of leaving behind when it comes to stepping out into the unknown. And then the giants are those things that we look ahead at and are possibly afraid of or that seem big and scary when it comes to stepping out into the unknown in our faith. And so we kind of set this up here. And so I want to I pick up where he left off, and spoiler alert, we're in church, all right? And so we're going to be talking about what it means to be bold towards God. Because honestly, it's a little bit of a different thing than just being bold in a, a career or a relationship. You know, it's like stepping out into the unknown in faith, it's a totally different ballgame. You can't just say like, oh, you have to be bold in your faith, and then go on and have a great week and see you next time. It's like, that's, that's not fair. That's, that's almost tone deaf. That's irresponsible us to say that as if that's all you guys need. That's all we need in order to be bold towards God. So I want to dive into that uh, a little bit this morning. Um, but to do that, I want to I want to play a clip here um, from Lord of the Rings. Who here has seen Lord of the Rings? Show of hands. All right. Yeah, these are my people. All right. So what about the extended versions? Anybody seen the extended versions? All right. Yeah. Okay. If you've seen the extended versions, that's the only way to watch Lord of the Rings. Finally, anyone has, has anyone done a marathon? All three, back to back. Okay, cool. Yeah, all right. It is, it's brutal. If, I've never done it with the extended editions because it's like 11 hours, something like that. Um, any, uh, who here hates being tricked into surveys? Anybody? <laughs> all right, yeah, okay. Um, but I want to play this clip. This, this clip stood out to me when we were talking about this sermon series about boldness. And it, because it highlights a very interesting aspect of boldness and the way that we as like creatures, as humans, the way that we respond to initiative and courage and boldness. And so what I want you guys to do is watch this clip and just to, to set up the clip here, we have two main characters. We have Aragorn in the dark hair and Theoden in the blonde hair. And right now they are holed up in a castle facing an overwhelming onslaught of orcs, uh, which are most certainly the bad guys. Um, and they are facing total impending doom. And I want you to pay attention to their attitudes at the beginning of the clip. And then at the end of the clip, I want to see, I want if, to see if you guys can notice which one kind of makes, makes a switch and why. So let's roll this clip here and pay attention to like the beginning and the end of their attitudes. Send word for the women and children to make for the mountain pass and barricade the entrance. Tell them 
much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? I could be an extra in any movie, it would be right there. Like, if I could be one of those guys that like, jumps off the bridge, that'd be, that'd be awesome. But, th but did you see, at the beginning of the clip, the guy in the blonde, he was just like, we're screwed, we're dead. Like, you and I, Aragorn, we're seeing the exact same thing here. We're seeing impending death and doom, and might as well just kind of, like, throw in the towel and give up. And Aragorn's like, no, we're going to try to rescue the women and children, we're going to try to get out of this alive, and, you know, that's probably not going to happen. But, you know, now that we're kind of at the end of our ropes here, let's just go out, meet them head on, face death and uh, for, for death and glory, right? And there's something within us that kind of catches hold of that momentum. There's something that caught hold of the blonde guy, Theoden. He's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. That's a lot better than despair and giving up and turning tail and running. There's something that is contagious about boldness, that there's something, there's something contagious about when somebody takes the initiative that we want to step on board with. There's something within us that wants to respond and get on board with that. Um, and we see this not just in like orc battles, because I don't know how many orc battles you guys have had. Um, I haven't had many. Um, but, but even in like the tiniest of little, little circumstances, like have you ever been at a friend's house having dinner and everyone's like finished up with the meal and y'all are like sitting back and maybe undoing the belt buckle a notch or two if you're me and everyone's kind of sitting there and the, there's a lull in the conversation and somebody like takes their fork and puts it on their plate and grabs their napkin and puts it on the plate also and grabs their cup and starts heading to the kitchen. Everyone else in sync grabs their plate, grabs their cup and their fork. They all just kind of get on board with that and bring it to the kitchen and they go grab dessert or something like that. Um, middle school dances. Right? It's like you got the guys on one hand and the girls over on the other side, and nobody's moving until one person just steps out and says, like, you. <laughs> and then, like, and then on cue, everyone else just kind of jumps on board, like there's permission to act when somebody goes first. And we see this even on a grander global scale of s giant, like, social injustices and issues where all it really will take sometimes is one person to just say, no. This isn't the way it should be. This isn't the way that the world should work. I'm not going to stand for this. I'm going to stand right here, and I'm going to say, I'm going to plant my feet. I'm going to go no further. And then everyone else is like, feels that permission almost. They want to get on board and come along with that boldness and that initiative. Um, bold action and bold faith draws out action in response. We are hardwired not only to praise initiative, 
and action, but to follow suit and get on board and follow in kind. <clears throat> and on, on the flip side of this, this reveals something about ourselves as well, is that we don't often like to be the ones to go first, right? We praise people like Steve Jobs and Thomas Edison who, who do insanely amazing things and like push progress forward um, because it's risky. There's no telling what's going to happen when you step out into the unknown. When you are bold, when you embrace that uncertainty, you step out into the unknown and there's no telling what's going to happen next. And that's scary and frankly, we just don't like doing it. But we appreciate and we praise the people that do and we like to get on board once somebody has made that first move. <coughs> um, but the thing is, it's one thing to try to invent the light bulb, you know, and fail 999 times or make a car that doesn't drive. I don't know what setbacks Elon Musk had, but I'm sure there were a lot. But when it comes to faith, that's an entirely different ballgame. Again, it's not like you can just say, like, yeah, just go and step out into the unknown in faith. You know, just like something that's so ephemeral and supernatural and totally out of this world, a, a God that you can't see, just like, yeah, just step towards that. It'll be fine. Good luck. See you next week. You know, it's like, that's, that's not fair. That's not right. So why is it that we're saying, be bold in your faith, take bold steps towards God, that you need to move towards God? Why is it that we can say that? Why is it that we can, that apparently, like, that God wants us to do that? And the big idea that I want to park on this morning is that we can be bold towards God because he was bold towards us first. That we are not stepping into the unknown where we don't know what the reaction is going to be, but rather he has stepped towards us first. He has set the tone for our interaction and our relationship with him already so that the unknown for us is not how we, re we will be received by him. We already know because he already came towards us first. And I want to I wanna pull up the verse, um, the passage, Romans 5, verses 6 and verses 8. And this is what it says in Romans 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And I want to I point out the verse still, that, that there's a continuing sort of aspect to the word still, just like we, we were powerless, we are powerless, we will be powerless. There's, there's a continuing aspect to it. And as Christians, we believe that sin exists in the world. Sin is the thing that, anything that offends God, and the entire world has been corrupted by sin. And that corruption runs so deep that we can't do anything about it. We're, we're stuck so deep in the middle of it that we can't pry ourselves out. And this verse is facing that head on, saying that yes, we are powerless. We can't do anything about this condition that we find ourselves in on a daily basis. And if we look around the world, if we look at the people close to us, if we look inside here, I'm sure it's not too hard to see the effects of that corruption within us. And no matter how hard we try, it doesn't really get any better. But this verse here, it is, it's amazing because it says, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly that he died in the middle of that powerlessness, that, there were, that the aspect of us being unable to fix our condition was right when he arrived. And the next verse says it even more clearly in, in, in verse 8. <clears throat> it says that, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died at the worst possible moment for any of us. While we were sinners. We had, we, there, it couldn't have been any worse for us when he came down. We, we didn't have any time to rehearse. We didn't have any time to try to like make a good show of ourselves. To try to say like, oh, hey, Jesus is coming. Crap, better, better like kind of get everything together and make sure that it looks as good as possible. No, it says that while we were still sinners is the moment at which Christ died. And it also says that he, he demonstrates his love for us. And that's a little bit odd because if, you, if, if we are to think that, that, that Jesus coming down was kind of an, investi- like an investigation of the human species, just kind of like sending down a man and kind of like sending out a, on a recon sort of mission, then there, there's no real emotion there. It's just kind of like, a, well, Jesus, go down and really see what's going on down there. You know, it's, it seems a little screwed up down there. But no, it says that he demonstrates his own love, which means that it was something pre-existing. His love was already there, and he put it on display. He demonstrated it. He put it on display by sending Christ to die in the middle of our sin. That the thing that separates us from God is the exact thing that he came down right into the middle of. And he demonstrated his love when he sent Christ. And this, this illustrates a fact that of something that I really appreciate. Again, I'm, I'm an engineer. I like to think in straight lines and linear thoughts and if this, then that, and, and see the world in a very black and white way. And for me, it's, it's comforting and really powerful to know that God is utterly pragmatic. He looks at us with his eyes open wide. He doesn't go like this and just say like, all right, well, I'm going to love you guys except for that, that stuff over there. I'm just going to kind of go like this and hope that it goes away real soon. No, it says, like the Bible says that God is pragmatic about our sin. He knows exactly who we are. He knows exactly what we've done. And while we were sinners, he sent his son to die. And the thing is that he could have simply left us to ourselves. He could have. We didn't do anything because we were in the middle of our sin. It's not like we did anything to deserve him. We didn't like pull him down by convincing him or by putting on such a good show that he was like, oh, fine, I'll come down anyway. No, he came down even though he didn't have to. That he was utterly pragmatic. He said, I know exactly what you've gotten yourself into. I know exactly what you've done, what you're doing, what you will do. And yet I'm going to come down anyway. And he came towards us first. He initiated the contact with us. He initiated towards us first. Uh, and there's th- this quote by J.J. Packer. Uh, I've loved this quote for a long time, and it sums up so well um, this, this verse and this idea. And it says this, There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself. See, it's easy to think that stepping out in faith or being bold towards God or um, making a move towards him is us stepping out into the unknown, that we are initiating contact with the God of the universe. And I have really, really good news for you. That's not the case. He already initiated contact with us. We are simply responding to the love that he has already demonstrated towards us. I am not stepping out into the unknown 
where I don't know how God will react to me, but rather I am responding to God initiating contact with me with a full knowledge of my condition. If you were here for for Josh's sermon a couple weeks ago, he was in a sermon series called The Big Three about the relationships, about like the, the three main spheres of influence and relationship that we have with each other. Um, and in one of them, he talked about this, this tension of relationship where we all want to be fully known for who we are and fully accepted and loved for who we are. And yet, we are afraid of that. We want to be loved for who we are, and yet we don't want to be known fully for who we are. Because there's a vulnerability, there's a rawness there of like, if I'm fully known, then maybe, just maybe, there's something deep down in there that will be uncovered, that will be unlovable, and that'll just mess up everything. But the fact of the matter is that God is God, last I checked, and he came while we were still sinners, while we were powerless, died for the ungodly at just the right time. That's what the verses were saying. And it says, and, and this quote, it's, it is utterly, utterly realistic based on prior knowledge of the absolute worst about me. There is nothing that you can uncover. There is nothing that you can do. There is no doubt that is too strong to disqualify us because he initiated contact with us. He came towards us first at the absolute worst possible time for us. We have nothing to prove to God. Nothing. We have nothing to impress him with, and yet he invites us into a relationship with him. And here, so here's, here's what I want from you this sermon. It's like, that's, that's all great. That's all fantastic. It's like the Bible says some cool stuff about you know, who we are and what, who God is and what Jesus did. But how does this relate? What does this change about my life? And and I want to, what I want from you is to to boldly move towards God because He went first. I want I want you to see that that bold move and the initiation that He has made towards us. Can can that spark action on our part? Can that can that spark something and say like, hey, well. Those, the fears and the doubts that I've had for my entire life. I've been coming to this church for, for my entire life, or I've never set foot in the church before this morning. doesn't really matter. The fears and the doubts that you have that hold you back from stepping towards God. What, what, do, what, does, what do these verses put aside in those? Is it, is it really possibly true that the the movement and the relationship that God initiated with us covers over all of the, the rest of the stuff. You see, we get mixed up sometimes about how a relationship with God actually works sometimes because if, if it relies on us having a certain level of faith, you know, or only being allowed a certain number of doubts per day, or you can only slip up like three times, but if it's a common sin, if it's like a habitual sin, you're only allowed one per day. It's like as soon as we start putting metrics on it, then we're going to just fail every single time. But the thing is that God isn't putting those metrics on us. He's just saying, come, I I came for you at the worst time, so you can come forward now, totally free of all of those. We're not disqualified, that's what I'm trying to say here. We're not disqualified by the fact that we doubt, we have fears, we mess up. And if you read the Bible, um, 
And like Jake was saying last week, I love what he said. Like when, when we read the Bible, it's so it's it's easy sometimes to to find ourselves in the Bible. He was talking about the the children of Israel back in the Old Testament and how they were like brought out of the land of Egypt, brought out of like slavery and like these terrible conditions. And then just like a few short months later, they're like, you know, maybe we should have gone back. <laughs> what in the world? And that, that fear, that those doubts, those hesitations are common throughout the entirety of the Bible. If you read through and even if you look in the New Testament even at the people that were closest to Jesus, what were they, what were they doing? They were doubting. They were saying, Jesus, this storm is going to kill us. And then Jesus went and he walked on the water and he calmed the storm. He's like, guys, what the heck? And then they're like, Jesus, we don't have any more food left. And he's like, okay, cool. Well, I'll just like give you guys some more food. What's, what's the problem? And then he went to the cross and Simon Peter, one of his absolute closest disciples, was like, Jesus? No, I don't know him. Because he was terrified of what it might mean to be close to Jesus when he was a criminal. Constantly throughout the Bible, we see people that experience and live through every single human emotion and fear and doubt and discouragement that we do. And yet, never do we see God disqualifying them and saying, oh, man, I'm sorry, you hit your quota too soon today. I can't, I can't do it. You're just a little bit too much for me right now. Or just like, it's a little bit too messy for us to be like this right now. So I'm going to take a break. I'm going to step back a little bit and come to me when you're a little bit more fixed up. That never happens because he came for us at the worst possible moment of our lives. And so I want to ask you this today. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter message, but I just want to ask you this. What if, what would your life look like if you believe that God came towards you first? Rather than viewing faith as something where <clears throat> you like where where you're stepping out into the unknown and kind of like putting yourself on display before God. That's kind of how I see it sometimes. Like, man, I grew up in a Christian home and I still am like, I still think that whenever I pray, God is just kind of like judging and like kind of going like this, just like, oh, how's he doing today? Hmm, not so good. Maybe I'll listen later. No, it's like, what if we believe that God stepped towards us first? at the worst possible moment of our lives, and that no fear, no doubt, no discouragement, no failure, no slipping back into habitual sin disqualifies us from relationship with him. What if you truly believe that? What, <clears throat> what mistakes have you made in your past that could be set aside for the first time? What fears do you have about who God is and who you are that could be put to rest because that actually doesn't matter to him as much as you think it does? What sort of habitual sin patterns that you feel like you need to clean up first and kind of just pull together just a little bit better this time and just do a little bit better and then maybe maybe this time he'll actually hear when I, when I call out or when I go to church, maybe the sermons will make a little bit more sense. Like what, of the, what, what sort of habits and failures could we set aside and just say like, hey God, you already knew about that. That's old news to you. So I'm just going to come anyway, even though I know that it's I'm not good enough by myself, but you said that I was because of who Christ is. <clears throat> what doubts would be laid to rest about how God sees you? How do you think that God sees you? Do you think he sees you as a, a project that just needs to be fixed as as something that just needs to be put back together so you'll finally just do the right things, you know, like a harsh taskmaster? 
Is that how you see God? Or do you see him as a loving father who loves us and accepts us for where we are, but loves us far too much to leave us there? So we can come to him at any time with any hurt, any pain, any struggle, any failure, and find healing and rest in him. And it, frankly, the, the only reason why I'm standing in front of you guys is because I think this is true. The only reason, like, this is the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire life, for sure. This is, this is it. Singing is a lot more easy because it's other people's words that you're singing. <laughs> um, but the, re the reason why I'm standing right here is because I think this is true. I think that I'm not, if this is the worst sermon that CLC has ever or will ever hear, I don't think that God is going to see me any less. I don't think I'm going to move three steps back in my faith. I don't think God is going to send me directly to jail, do not pass go, or collect $200. I don't think that's going to be the case. Because frankly, it's like, man, if, if, if my position and relationship with God was depending on me being able to preach a good sermon, I would never even try. But the fact of the matter is, I can step out boldly and say, like, all right, this is something that God wants me to do. <clears throat> it's not going to be perfect, that's for sure. But he already knew that when he asked me to follow him. He already knew that. And he came and he died for the, the fact that it's not going to be perfect. So embrace the uncertainty in your faith. Lean into it. It's okay. It's okay to, to, to kind of, like, sit there and wonder, like, what is God going to think? What's he going to do? How is he going to respond? It's okay to think those thoughts. It's okay to have those doubts and those, those fears about what might disqualify you. As long as you follow it up by going and reading Romans 5, or reading verse, uh, Ephesians verses 2, 4, and 5, and remind yourself of what exactly it is that sent Jesus to the cross. It wasn't the fact that, that God demonstrated exactly how much he really thought that we could do better if he just went to the cross. No, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, he died. That's what sent him to the cross. And so as long, like those, those fears, those doubts, it's okay. It's okay. And if all, if, if all that boldness is for you right now, if all that stepping towards God for you is to maybe like come back next week or to just like maybe this afternoon, just like talk to him for the first time, and really, really talk to him honestly and just say, like, hey, God, here's where I'm at. He already knows, but he invites us into relationship with him. He invites us into, like, into fellowship with him. <clears throat> there's nothing left to prove. There's nothing left to wait for. There's, there's nothing left for us to say, like, hey, if, you know, if only something would happen. There's, if only, if, if only this, if only this box could be checked, there's, or, or if, if I saw this from God, or if he did, there's nothing left to wait for, because he already made the first move. It already happened a couple thousand years ago. He already sent Jesus. He already initiated contact with us. He already stepped towards us boldly. And so the ball's kind of in our court at this point, but it's not stepping out into some scary unknown where we're going to be kind of put on display before God and going like this. Mm -mm. No. We get to come before God as we are, wherever we are, however we are, and know that Jesus died at the worst possible time for us, but also kind of at the best possible time. So um, as we wrap up here, the, the first song that the band is going to play is, is kind of a theme song for this sermon series about boldness. Um, 
And so I want this, the, that first, the, the first song, um, y'all can just stay seated and listen to the song and just take a, take a couple minutes to reflect. <clears throat> what, is, what exactly is it that is holding you back from stepping towards God? And I'm talking to the person who hasn't been to church in three decades. I'm talking to the, the, the person who's been coming here ever since day one. I'm talking to the people that grew up going to the church. I'm talking to the people that have been burned by the church and maybe have, this is the first time that they've set foot in, in months or years or decades. What is it that is holding you back from stepping towards God? And then follow-up question. Is that, is that covered? Is that, did Jesus cover it? Pretty, pretty sure the answer is going to be yes at that moment. Would you let that galvanize action in you? So let's just take this first song here um, and um, reflect on that. So let's, let's pray real quick.